All right, super quick. No big stories, just... All right, I'm out. <laughs> what was the most awesome and most traumatizing death of a character that you have ever seen in D&D? Grab your dice. Five. Two. Twelve. All right. Uh, most awesome death, I had a character jump into the mouth of a blue dragon to save his party. Did it work? Yes, for one member of my party. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, delicious. Um, the most traumatizing death of a character that I ever saw was when a deck of many things, um, a souped up better than normal deck of many things, uh, had a Baylor demon drawn out of it when everyone was level five, mm-hmm. and then murdered a character in the middle of Curse of Strahd, a character that was important, and was also in a relationship with the DM at the time, so we ended up on a side mission the next the next week to go to the afterlife up. Uh, from Barovia to, to go get her back. And the guy, the asshole who kept pulling cards, <laughs> his character suddenly went mute for three sessions and he didn't talk to anyone because he was so embarrassed about it. <laughs> There's so much wrong with that statement. Oh my, yeah, I, I, that, I could unpack that. But Megan, what do you got? <laughs> um, sadly, mine was, I have to mention, because I've mentioned it multiple times because it was traumatizing, was the death of Terry's character for my character. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, God fucking death raid right in front of me in a place where I couldn't heal. So As a paladin. As a paladin. Yeah. Yeah. And you watched him then rise the next round as a zombie and then you had to murderfy him. I had him to like... murderfy his zombie. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. was a it was a good day that day. So wow. and, then, and then we did a funeral for him in the next session and it was just a very traumatizing event for everybody. So I will say that one definitely sticks with me the most for trauma. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> I was the better rogue anyways. <laughs> You weren't even supposed to be a rogue. <laughs> <laughs> I was mostly fighter. You were literally half the man he was. It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation about condition effects in D&D 5th edition. I'm Adam, and with me this week are Dan and Megan. And this episode is called Conditions, the Wrong Kind of Long Rest. Uh-oh. We're covering the mechanics and gameplay opportunities for unconsciousness, death saves, and exhaustion, and probably a whole lot more. So, um, I gotta start off. Guys, do you like how death and hit points are handled in 5th edition? Yes. Good talk. (laughs) Welcome welcome to the podcast. You never know what you're gonna get, and apparently that means nothing. Nothing. You get nothing. No, I, I, I hate it. Why? Um, it is too. Uh, what, wait, you're demanding why from me? Yes, yeah. Miss. Yeah. Yes, burp. I enjoy like, it. Okay. Yeah. I I don't like it because um one hit dice is effectual for one mechanic in the game, but it's an entire mechanic built around it, and then it's good for nothing. So why the shit are there hit dice other than a holdover from old editions? I want them to be used in other ways. I want hit dice to be around, but it's weird how they play out. Um, there are more weird side mechanics, especially in spells and stuff as well. Like, so if some things have a certain number of hit dice, then you can attack them or, or literally sleep, right? Yeah, there, yeah. there are a couple others, um, as well, but they're the obscure, strange ones. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I, I also, uh, specifically the death saves. I like the death saves. I really do, but it makes it really, really easy to avoid death in the game. So, uh, D and D 5e is not as... Um, hardline brutal 
as previous editions of Dungeons and Dragons have been, um, including the, the. It's very player friendly. It's very very player friendly. So I would like to see a little bit more teeth in that regard, um, and but I usually do that by dealing with things like massive damage and knowing my monsters and my NPCs will go for the kill if they can. But that's what I mean, is that you as a DM can customize it to make it more tooth and nail. I feel like the whole system itself grants you the ability to have that kind of freedom. Because there are systems where you don't have a lot of freedom in what you can and can't do, and you do have to retcon different rules. Whereas this one, you can kind of play with the rules as they are and how they lay, but make them work for you. And to your point, 5th edition is supposed to be player friendly. It was the edition that made me feel like I could DM a game, because it was so simplistic and easy to roll and mm-hmm. easy to do, right? Yeah, don't get me wrong. I love 5th edition. I think it's the best iteration of the game to this point. Hit points feels like a mixture between a holdover from previous editions and a, we need to have this here, so I guess we're having this here. But I mean, what do you replace it with? And this is a thing that I come up to all of the time. Like, the number of wounds taken, that's just hit points with more steps in the middle, right? Like, yep. you just have four wounds and, or four hit points and... And certain attacks can do more damage. Or, mm. like, and when you're half, it, you're kind of bloodied. And when you're yeah. quarter, you're more bloodied. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's too much nonsense. I don't have an answer. I don't. But I dislike how in 5th edition, my only complaint about it is how things get easier the later on you get in the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every video game that I've ever played gets harder and harder. And it is an achievement to get further into the game. But in this... It gets easier the further along you go. You get more hit points. Your AC will go up. You get more access to get the fuck out of jail free cards, right? Like, it just becomes simpler. And maybe that's maybe that's because we don't have a save state like you do in video games. You can save it and go back and try it again. Yeah. Or uh, you can always just reload the game or build the character with slightly different stats. When you've put 30 weeks of, of role-playing into this character... You have earned the right to have this character be around longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that is that the mentality? And because if that's the game design, I'm cool with it. But then why do we talk about death being so scary, right? And so I, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't really like that it gets easier as you go. I want you to be looking at each other at level twenty, go, oh shit, what's around the corner? Yeah. And the answer is always, it's a god. Yeah, well, that's just. It's the ultimate, but I yeah. mean, even Guitar Hero gets harder the further you along in the game you get. It, well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Everything does. Eventually, you're doing through the fire and flames and hating life. And then when you put it down for a week and go back to it, you're starting from the beginning because you've lost all your muscle memory. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's awful. No. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how do you guys feel about unconsciousness? I think it's a, a slightly good balance. I think there's things wrong with it in general. But I do like the fact that it does, again, give you that freedom to kind of figure out what to do with your character. Kind of, I feel like it represents someone's will to live to be unconscious. I, in previous editions, there was a difference between unconsciousness and sleep. I like that there's a difference between unconsciousness and sleep. It feels weird that there is, like, you're just unconscious. Yeah, Mm. right? Um, But, again, I'm the person who would be more than willing to cast a ninth level sleep spell, so... You are very strange like that, yes. Um, so, honestly, I think having the unconscious condition is good. I wish there was more way to just cause unconsciousness without losing hit points. Um, effects like the sleep spell, which don't knock your hit points. They just go off the amount of hit points you have. And if you have this many hit points, it affects you. <laughs> Aren't there certain spells that do knock you unconscious? There are. Yeah. Th- there, there are one or two, but like... 
the freeze you in place, but you maintain consciousness are far more numerous than the straight up just remove you from the battle unconscious. That's true. It is weird that you can get frozen a block of ice and still know what's going on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, it, um, and I do know like things that turn you to stone, like petrified. Yeah. You lose consciousness with petrification. Now, no, no, you do not. As a homebrew for us, you do not. Based on rules, you do. Someone look that up because I'm pretty sure that you stay conscious. Oh, and is unaware of its surroundings. Mm. At no point does it say unconscious. I I know. I, I meant like the unaware. Right? Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Look, no. For clarity's sake, you are unaware of your surroundings because your eyeballs are stone and so are your eardrums, right? Yeah. However, you are still conscious, trapped inside your own freaking brain. That's That's horrible. Yeah. It's like, because you can still hear your internal voice, right? Oh, over and over and over yeah. and over again. I, I want there to be kind of an off switch for players, more so than like a, like even stun doesn't quite do it for me. All right, well, let's get into what unconsciousness actually is, um, rules as written. Yeah. So uh, the way that it is presented in 5th edition is an unconscious creature is incapacitated, which only means that you cannot take actions or reactions. And, of course, if you can't take actions, you can't take bonus actions, which we've established in previous episodes. So, it means that you can move. But, also, they can't move or speak. <laughs> so, um, and they are unaware of their surroundings. The creature drops whatever it's holding and falls prone. They automatically fail strength and dex saves. Attack rolls against the creature have advantage. And any attack that hits the creature is a critical hit if the attacker is within five feet of the creature. Now, remember, if you fall prone... Any ranged attack has disadvantage because you're lying down. Despite the fact that what it says here is attack rolls against a creature have advantage. Hard stop. So what what do you guys take? Do you take the prone condition ruling or do you take the unconscious ruling? I take both. And if you're shooting a bow and arrow five feet distance from this guy. No, no, no. If you're 25 feet away, do you have disadvantage or do you have advantage? I would say advantage because it's not possible that the creature's not going to move. Right. But I'm thinking it's a smaller target. Uh, I go disadvantage. Same reason. It's not a smaller target. I, I, I would, I would agree. Well, no, that you would have disadvantage to hit it because it is smaller. Yes. Well, yeah, because it's laying down, right? Like yeah. the, the pro, like the, its state of consciousness does not affect your chance to hit it in this regard. What if they fell unconscious standing against a wall and they happen to weirdly situate themselves that they're still kind of standing? It literally says <laughs> it falls prone and then. Like, not the next sentence, but the one after is, attack rolls against a creature have advantage. So it contradicts itself. Uh, yeah. my, my ruling on this would have to be that I would go with advantage, even if even if you're ranged. Because logic aside, rules as written, if they bother to point it out as its own point, it's probably overwriting the other thing. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't have said it at all. No, I, I think what it is, is the way they wrote it down was assuming that you were within five feet, so you have advantage to hit it. it Right, rules as intended, but rules as written, I, it overwrites it. So I would say you have just one straight roll. At my table, you would have one straight roll trying to hit a unconscious prone from range. Well, I, would, I would do advantage because it's a non-moving target. You probably watch them go down. You know exactly where they are. If you were, have a bow and arrow, you know how to use it. Like, And I'm, uh, I'm, not, even, I'm not even applying <laughs> logic. I'm just saying that because they included it in the ruling, that's how I'm going to let it lie yeah right so um do we like that for unconscious are we missing anything honestly i don't think so um the only thing that um happens every single time a player is sleeping at a camp and 
uh, a fight or something pops out, the idea of how well do I perceive while I'm unconscious, right, comes up. And uh, honestly, I my mind gets muddied in the additions there. Like, is it a negative? Is it a disadvantage? Is it what is it? To I always just make a, a perception roll with disadvantage. Well, I mean, in my mind, that's for sleep. If you're unconscious, nothing's really going to wake you up until you, your body decides it wants to wake up. That's how I see it. Uh, no, when you're unconscious, you don't wake up. You have to have 1d4 hours of of non-rest. So you, yeah. have, you have to be at rest, but you're not getting the benefits of a short rest. And yeah. It's 1d4 hours to regain one hit point. And not be unconscious any longer. That's what I mean. So if you're unconscious, someone clapping their hands in front of your face isn't going to wake you up. But if you're sleeping, someone clapping their hands in front of your face, you would roll to see if that would wake you up. Because you are technically still alert in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So so for unconscious, the only roll that you get is that D4. Yeah. But for sleep, I will let you do a perception check every time that something is loud enough going on around you. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not even like once around. If there's clanging metal on shield, like there's a sword fight around you, there's enough of a cacophony that I'm going to let you roll that two or three times in the span of a round. It also seems weird to me that they wouldn't do it in the sense of a constitution roll like they do everything else. Like, Well, I think the intention is to use your passive perception. I guess so. But where does a d4 come in then? Why is it a d4? Oh, no, no, no. That's just for your unconsciousness. Dan's talking about sleep. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, when it it comes to sleep, why... No, at no point is it about passive perception. Passive perception is meant for what you notice when you walk through a room. When you walk into a giant library you've never been in before, what are the things that you pick up on the first round? It is all of the stuff that you automatically get in Call of Cthulhu because they don't have perception checks. Yeah. Yeah. They have spot hidden only. Yeah. Right? So your passive perception just takes care of all of the stuff around you. Yeah. But D&D is a little more granular when it comes to that and... Um, and so, I don't know, the, I like unconsciousness for what it is. I don't think sleep is unconsciousness. No, I think they're two very different things. Un- unfortunately, the game would disagree. Would it? Yeah, in Xanathar's it does say explicitly that sleep is unconsciousness. Seems weird to me. That's so weird. Uh, the- Fortunately, in Xanathar's there's a little bit of an explanation here. Um, in the Dungeon Master Tools chapter, which is the second chapter of Xanathar's, it does say that sleep is... Uh, while a creature sleeps, it is subjected to the unconscious condition. There are some rules that expand based on that basic fact. Um, when you are trying to wake somebody that is naturally sleeping, a sudden loud noise such as yelling or ringing a bell or thunder will wake them. Um, however, whispers don't disturb sleep unless a uh, sleeper's passive wisdom perception score is 20 or higher and the whispers are within 10 feet of the sleeper. That's the only way that they'll wake them up. Wow, that seems really hard and fast or arbitrarily. Like, yeah. I'm not a fan of Sp- any of that. Speech at a normal volume wakens the a sleeper if the environment is otherwise silent and the sleeper has a passive perception of 15 or higher. So if you're having a normal conversation next to your, I don't know, your fighter who dumped wisdom, um, you could have a conversation directly over top of them and they probably wouldn't wake up because their passive perception is a 12. But your wizard is going to go, shh. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, There's other rules involved sleeping in armor. That's where we get the hard and fast rule about sleeping in armor, generating exhaustion, um, and regaining only one quarter of your hit dice if you try to do it. Okay, well, even if the rules as written are kind of annoying, it it makes sense that... Even though you're asleep, yes, 
technically you're unconscious, but at least there's conditions that they've rules as written said. But if you're trying to wake them up, X, Y, and Z, right? Yeah. I feel like dwarves should have disadvantage on any roll to wake up. Why is that? Because they Be- snore? Because they snore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically dwarves. Yeah, I've yeah. never met a dwarf that didn't snore. That's true. I'd be concerned if you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so another another feature that is uh, mentioned in the book that's kind of revolving around unconsciousness too, but people don't really talk about it that often. Sometimes an attacker wants to incapacitate a foe rather than deal a killing blow. When an attacker reduces a creature to zero hit points with a melee attack, the attacker can knock the creature out. The attacker can make this choice the instant the damage is dealt. The creature falls unconscious and is stable. Oh, so it's not immediate lethal action. As long as... Nope. This is one of the only times you get a called shot in 5th edition. Well, because it doesn't count for ranged attacks, right? Ranged is you can't control that. Uh, It specifically says with a melee attack, but frankly, if you pulled out a boxing glove arrow... Like, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, the best superhero in existence. I'm a novice person out, yeah, for sure. I, sure, if you're playing a wacky bullshit campaign, you might as well, I'm right? I'm hitting you with my rubber mallet. Mm-hmm. 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 Batman, but better. Yeah, well, except for worse. Fucking not better. So positive. <laughs> so, Green Arrow for life. I've never watched it. Okay, I'm, I'm it's glad. a fucking comic. No, 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 but I'm just super glad that they killed him in another show uh, unceremoniously as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, that made me happy. I know it's a comic book, but I just never, And a great one. I've never engaged in either or. So, do you add uh, any lasting effects to someone who's been knocked unconscious when they wake up? If you get your bell rung that badly, because, I mean, you're, you're one good concussion away from being a little bit off for the... Like, you're, you're a middle-aged linebacker, right? You're you're wandering around in circles. I love adding some kind of a lasting effect. Not like a condition of any kind, unless, to your point, like, you got knocked out and maybe you have a concussion, you might be a little stupid now. But um, more in the sense of scars. So, like, if someone slashed you and you're bleeding out and that's why you're dying, there's, like, why the hell would you think that suddenly you came back to life and this giant open gash that's on your body isn't going to form a scar? Um, we talked about this in the last conditions episode about scarring and stuff. And we did mention the, the lack of concussive. Yeah. Like, like brain damage level scarring. Because that's that a in, thing. You could do that in sanity though. Couldn't you like kind of use that mechanic? Uh, yeah, I guess you could. Yeah. I, I, I'm fine with that. I also just like the idea of little things like you can have disadvantage on any perception check that requires, um, listening for the rest of the day. Or just because the tendonitis is going and your ears ringing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now <laughs> 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 I just want to listen to your character do that for an entire game because Dan would love it. <laughs> I like Dan. What do I see? Oh, you went to the dark room. There's cobwebs and Dan. What do I see? Mup. <laughs> <laughs> like you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm role playing. Give this me is inspiration. What my character yeah. would say. <laughs> Fucking hate you both. <laughs> okay, so um, before we get into the real conversation about death and hit points and healing and whatnot, uh, let's talk for a second about death saves. So I'm going to read directly out of the book. I want to quote this because it's very specific, okay? Um, whenever you start your turn with zero hit points, you must make a special saving throw. Call it called a death save. 
um, to determine whether you creep closer to death or hang on to life. Unlike other saving throws, this one isn't tied to any ability score. You are in the hands of fate now, aided only by spells and features that improve your chances of succeeding on a saving throw. Now, sidebar, we actually did a episode, Dan and I went back and forth listing every healing spell in 5th edition. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a while back, but it's um, on our playlist, our DM Tips playlist on YouTube, if people want to jump to that really quickly. But it, um, we got into whether or not giving advantage with the spell will actually affect death saves as well. And the answer is yes. Yes, it does. Yeah. So that is a big thing that you can be handing out as a support caster. Um, If you are a paladin and you are standing within 10 feet of a person making death saves, they add your charisma modifier to it. Which we learned in the last death episode that we did. Yeah. 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 Which is... Hucking broken. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely it is, but it's something that people aren't playing with, right? Like, they don't really realize that, so uh, uh, you're going to piss off your DM. There's a thing I realized here as well um, that is, I guess, a homebrew or holdover or whatever what? it is that I've always run with. Zero hit points isn't death to me. Zero hit points is you are dazed, you're at this half thing, and if you do anything strenuous, you fall unconscious. Now, that is a holdover from previous editions. I'm now realizing, because I've always just done it that way. No, man, you're de- you are face down in a pool of your own blood. At zero hit points, yeah. This starts at zero hit points. Yep. Yeah. Um, ro- so you roll a d20, and if the roll is 10 or higher, you succeed. Otherwise, you fail. A success or failure has no effect by itself. On your third success, though, you become stable. On your third failure, you die. So it's really best out of three. The successes and failures don't need to be consecutive. Keep track of both until you collect three of a kind. The number of both is reset to zero when you regain any hit points or become stable. Now, if you roll a 1 or 20, when you make a death saving row, uh, roll, you, there are special rules. On a 1 on the d20, it counts as two failures. But if you roll a 20, you regain one hit point. Before I go any further, how do we like that? I feel if you roll a 1, you die. Like, that's just, I don't know. If it's going to be so much that if you roll 20, you get to suddenly come back to life. Uh, if a 20 counts as 3, but a 1 counts as 2, it, like, here we are in 5th edition, mm-hmm. you know, stroking the players' Making sure your players ego. stay alive. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I disagree. I love it. I love everything about it. Of course you do. The, rolling a natural 1 on a death save fucking sucks. But let's be honest, that puts you that much closer to, the de- to death's door, which is going to do nothing but add drama to the table. Yeah, but rolling a 20 should add drama to the table as well and not just have you up and picking your nose again. It, 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 well, no, it doesn't. It, okay, unless you're playing the class of a chronic nose picker, having one hit point should not mean you're up and picking your nose. But that's what I mean. Why doesn't it just stabilize you? Why doesn't it just make it so that you're at zero hit points, you're stabilized and no longer rolling death saves? Why is it now suddenly you can now sit there and go hurdy dur and heal yourself? Um, I, I, I like the idea of just like it, it you are uh, so invested in the moment you're pulling yourself out of this state, right? And, and you're fighting on it. It's that little bit of endurance. And we see a lot of that mechanically in things like zealot barbarians and barbarians and mostly it's in barbarians. So um, what was it in Dan? Mostly barbarians. Okay. Um, and that that's the that's the inflatable punching clown thing. The ha ha ha, and you stand back up and you get punched down again. That's frightening, right? Um, but. The thing I don't like about this is if you crit on your turn and you get your one hit point, your turn's done. You don't have anything else you could do. You're not doing this roll at the beginning or the end of your turn. 
Does it say either way? It's your turn, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you must make a... Uh, whenever you start your turn, you so make a death save. at the save. beginning at of the your beginning, turn... If you make that death save, you're up and moving. And you get your full turn. Interesting. Because I've always played that at the end of your turn. Yeah. That like that that is your turn. Again, it this just keeps players in the game. I understand from a game design standpoint why they would do that, but it breaks suspension of disbelief for me that you're just able to pop up that much better. The wizard with six hit points is able to pop up on a D twenty and run the fuck away after getting knocked out like that. that yeah, I'm I'm it, it doesn't break suspension it adds drama to the game. Like I, I actually do like it. Um especially since the way we have done it in the past is the you drink the uh, sorry you, you pop up with that one hit point and then the next turn everyone's all the enemies around you just get another round of beating your shit in. It's true. So if you can't heal yourself, like let's say you just have right? to like a if, barbarian, if you're drops. in a bad situation, you're fucked. Well, here's a hint: be better. Don't get into a bad situation and trust that your DM is not going to. Fucking put the boots to you with the group of kobolds because you went down, right? Well, I think it's also the fact that, like, you could say that even though you have one hit point, you're not going <clears> to <throat> to life and, like, alert exactly. everybody around you that you are, you know, I would, like, pretend that I'm still dead and just be, like, healing myself for about six rounds and then all of a sudden pop up full man strength. Like, it'd be great. Well, okay, this is going to get a little bit more complicated because yeah. here we go. <laughs> damage at zero hit points. If you take any damage while you have zero hit points, you suffer a death-saving failure. If... The damage is from a critical hit, which, remember, you're unconscious, so a hit counts as a critical. So every hit that from, like, a, a, an attack will count. If you take damage, just general damage, like there's a fire in the room, or a rock falls on you and it's not an attack, then you just automatically lose one. If it's a critical hit, you lose two. Yeah. Yeah, and that would only be melee around you, right? I was saying... If you attack. take... Um, if the damage is from a critical hit, you suffer two failures. So if, if someone is stabbing you from melee distance within that five feet around you, then it is an automatic critical hit because I, of the un- unconscious uh, condition, right? So that's what makes it that automatic critical hit. Any attack that hits the creature is a critical hit if the attacker is within five feet of the creature. So I, yeah. even a bow and arrow. Even a bow and arrow would do it. Yeah, okay. Even like yeah. an attack spell. Um, a kick it. to the side of the head. An unarmed attack will do it, right? Yeah. So, um, but we also have the instant death mechanic, which has never come up in one of my games because I always start at at least level five. And this is one of those things that punishes tier one and rewards other people. It happened to me in a game literally three months ago um, to a level 10 bard. Really? Well, how many hit points did your bard I, have? I could see it happening with like the lower hit point classes getting hit with like a disintegrate. Right, All right, well, like, let, let's get into it. Massive damage can kill you instantly. When damage reduces you to zero hit points and there is damage remaining, you die if the remaining damage equals or exceeds your hit point maximum. That was a lot of words, so I'm going to read the example. For example, a cleric with a maximum of 12 hit points currently has six. If she takes 18 damage from an attack, she's reduced to zero, but 12 damage remains. Because the remaining damage equals her hit point maximum, the cleric dies outright. So that came up in, in a yep. game with a level 10 bard. Mm-hmm. Was Khan a dump stat? Yes. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yeah. No, she's a very, it was a very much charisma based, like built yeah. support character. 
So um, she got hit by some kind of a ray of some kind because she pissed off some kind of a magical fox. Anyways, it just like death rated her to death and she just exploded, basically. Cool. Yeah. Um, sidebar, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden actually has uh, a stat block for fox. They yep. took the time out of their pages <laughs> to give you the stat blocks for fox. Also, humpback whale. Also. The fuck? Also, uh, what is it? Mountain goat is another one. Well, you know also, what? I did feel limited in the amount of animals I could actually utilize. Also, <laughs> gnome mind flayers. Yes. Oh, God. All right. We're, before we just start listing things from that book, let's, <laughs> let's move on. How do we feel about instant death? Do you like it? I think it makes sense to me. I feel like it does add the sense of urgency that if you're going to go up against a dragon that you should not be and one of your character dies because of it, because it got curse-wiped and dead because it's only a level one character, you fucking learned your lesson not to fight a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> I also like it, but I want to see this. I want to see D&D 5e be a little bit more deadly. So what I would like is for more things other than vampires and sturges be able to affect hit point maximums. Yeah, it, that makes it way scarier, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I, I like this. But when you are coupling this with the um, death saves as well, I, the damage at zero hit points bothers me because if I if I hit you and I do, you have two hit points left and I do 78 damage to you, that drops you to zero and does no extra damage. And you're able to pop up on a nat 20 next round. I blew my level nine spell to do this. And bloop, there you are. Right, That just fucking annoys me. And before you say, well, this is just good for players, I want to remind you, your big enemies, your named enemies, get death saves. That is an option for everyone. Not a variant either. You just do it. Yeah. Where you can just say, hey, you know what? That dragon, that lich, that vampire, whoever it is, they get death saves. I can, You can add that as a DM to every single character. This is how you keep mounts alive, by the way. Mounts and pets. Mm. Well, I was going to ask you, do you do that as a DM? Because like, you're almost the main DM that I have right now, Adam, is, is you. So, is that something that you do? Um, instant death? I've, I've never seen it. Not necessarily instant death, but um, death saves for your monsters. Oh, I do it. I do it if you, if it is a set piece name. If you guys are hunting, let's say uh, you guys went hunting after an archmage for many sessions. Yeah, that mm. guy had death saves. But random villager number three? No. Mm. My idea is that if it has hit dice, if it is like a named... Um, uh, player race and it has hit dice, then yes. Right. Otherwise, it's villager or whatever, right? So, sure. Can I offer an alternative? Sure. What do you got, Dan? What nonsense are you brewing? An instant death uh, doesn't affect you off of your hit point maximum, but rather if you more than double the remaining hit points that player has. So, in this example where you have a cleric that has 18 maximum hit points, they are currently at six. And you do 12 damage to him. That gets him down to 6, but would also get him down that 6 twice. That is an instant death. That's terrible because what I'm going to be aiming for as someone that can do a little bit more strategizing is I'm going to do I'm going to just kill you by a thousand cuts. So all I ever have to do is 2 damage at any given point. Because the moment you have 1 hit point, you don't get death saves. Oh yeah, that, that sucks, especially if you hit that natural 20 on the death save. Yeah. You're up with your one hit point and then, you know, a, a cobalt it, comes yeah. over and like scratches your knee and you die. Yeah. So, so I do understand kind of like, so these instant death mechanic only works if you are currently standing on your feet. No, uh, if, 
Um, yeah, if you drop below, then then you are... But if you are currently unconscious and doing death saves, and someone kicks you for a critical hit... Oh, no, if not... it says right here, um, underneath the death save throws in the player's handbook, if the damage equals or exceeds your hit point maximum, you suffer instant death. Okay, so even if you are currently unconscious... Yeah, so you can saves. lean down, and, and uh, that guy's got two successes on a death save, you can disintegrate his face away. Excellent, okay, good to know. As an evil necromancer, go on. Do you hit an enemy with a healing hand spell just to make sure they have that four hit points, and then hit them with a disintegrate so that if you bring them down to zero, they turn to ash? I think that I think you would be smart enough to know that when they're on death's door, that's when you hit them with the big guns. Yeah. So yeah, if I'm playing a gritty, brutal, hard campaign. But, like, your skeleton minion, like, knocked that one down, and now you know that uh, they're just bleeding out. No, no, no. You stand up, and now I'm disintegrating you. You just lost some cred for having a skeleton minion bleed out. No, no, no. <laughs> no. The skeleton minion is making Bless. the player <laughs> oh, bleed out. Oh, okay. 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 Sorry, the, right. the player character, not the player. Bless well, me. my skeleton minions are making players bleed at my table. That's They know too much. <laughs> um, all right. So, one last thing that I want to cover with the deaths uh, and the mechanics around it is stabilizing. The best way to save a creature with zero hit points is to heal it. If healing is unavailable, the creature can at least be stabilized so that it isn't killed by a failed death save throw. You can use your action to administer first aid to an unconscious creature and attempt to stabilize it, which requires a successful DC-10 medicine check. Stable creature doesn't make death saves, even though it has zero hit points, but it does remain unconscious. The creature stops being stable and must start making death saving throws again if it takes any damage. A stable creature that isn't healed regains one hit points after 1d4 hours. Okay. So, do you like that? The mechanics on that? The DC 10 for the medicine check, the stable but you stay unconscious, and 1d4 hours gets you one hit point? How do you feel about that? Uh, I feel like it should be more challenging, to be honest with you. Um, I agree. Yeah. I Your like buddy's sitting there holding his intestines in his hand. And you're like, hold them tighter. the barbarian just jamming all your insides <laughs> back in. I'm applying pressure. Just, you're okay. So it like, should, in my mind, it should be a DC that if an unintelligent creature attempted to do it, it would be difficult to occur. So I just, that's what would make more sense to me. is because you would want your cleric to be the one to jump in. You would want your paladin to be the one that jumped in. Not the barbarian that's suddenly like, I am going to figure this out. Like. <laughs> if I shove dirt in it, you get better. <laughs> DC 10 feels easy. It yeah. feels really easy. It's yeah. way too low. I would. I want... There's no reason... I've, <laughs> I've never seen anyone choose medicine as a skill. As a matter of fact, I was talking to my friend Charlie, who is currently building a character for a campaign, and he said, oh, I, I took uh, proficiency in medicine, and I went, fucking why? Well, I'm a life cleric. I'm like, yeah, you're a life cleric. Fucking why? You don't need medicine. You do not need medicine. <laughs> uh, Lachlan had that. Boy, Lachlan Boyle had uh, proficiency in medicine purely as the investigator role. I thought, oh, if it ever comes up where he needs to like see a higher room. Identify the blood spider right, or whatnot. Right, stuff like forensic that. Forensic nonsense. Yeah, mm. that's why he, I had that, right? And uh, that didn't come up that often in the campaign. But... <laughs> but but the moment that you get any sort of, of cleric or or any sort of divine healing at all, that, come on, spare the dying? Yeah. Yep. 
There's so many spells and so many abilities and so many like class traits and race traits that give you the ability to stop yourself from dying. So I feel like if you're going to use a medicine check to stabilize a human being that is dying, you need to be intelligent. Yes. Like it just, it just, what's has, your cause baseline? Because you're, you're not using magic. This is like all your life, you have people that use magic to heal you. How often do you see someone put a band aid on? So why would you know how to do it? That depends on the level of magic your campaign has. Yes, I know. But if you're thinking about a high magic world in general, if you go and see a healer, they're probably going to use some kind of magic spell on you. If you go to a doctor in a high fantasy world, they're probably going to use a spell to heal you or some kind of an herbal thing or some kind of a weird well, the, thing. The, the, when we're talking about medicine, we're talking about the, this low level healing. Herbalism kits need to come into the conversation yes, it is, but... because you make potions of healing with herbalism kits. Yeah. So you can make a potion at so these low level healers i have not necessarily being clerics or druids or bards who can heal they are just commoners that have proficiency with the herbalism kit and say here drink this you'll feel better in the morning i legit don't know this do herbalism kits actually let you build healing potions in fifth edition they are required to build healing potions yeah right but if you are proficient with one can you just make healing potions low level healing potions yes like the 1d4 style yeah. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. But but that's what I kind of mean is that like it just I don't know, if you're in the middle of a battlefield and you have never watched someone bandage someone up, you are not going to know where to put the intestines. So if you don't know magic and you're relying on your medicinal it, skills... Uh, look, honestly, it's a medieval world. You see someone's intestines out there, you're praying that the four humors go back into their corporeal form. If their leg is bleeding, you're cutting it off. Like <laughs> Yeah, like, amputation is... That's the answer here, right? Yeah. Like, um, And I, I feel like magical healing is... You're right, it negates a certain amount of that, but I would counter by saying... They're going to rely on potions. They're going to rely on salves and and items that have charges to it because they don't want to use their spell slots. Yeah. No one is going to sit there and blow their... Even level one spell slots. You're, you think what your doctor clocks in at 9 a.m. could blow through all of his stuff by noon. Yeah. Right? So he's probably not looking to use his own thing. In my own fantasy worlds that I build myself, no doctor is a magical healer. Yeah. Because doctors are about the sciences, and they're like artificers. They don't get divine magic, so they don't have the ability to just divinely heal. When I build it, they bandage, and they say they will use a medicine check and potions and antidotes and uh, salves and oils and whatever they can. Mm. Oh, here, chew this root. It'll make you feel better. Yeah. Or you can go spend 100 gold down the street at the temple for a god to heal you. True enough. So that's but how I run it differently. Dan? Um, how I run. No, so, what you were looking oh, yeah. up. So I was looking up the crafting specifically of potions of healing. Yeah. Um, which I mean, they detail very, very loosely because it says very specifically, you cannot craft magic items in D and D. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. If you go stock rules, you, if they're magic items, you can't craft them. Except artificers. Except artificers. Potions of healing are both mentioned as Magic items and not, and they're just alchemical creations, mm -hmm. right? At the same time, there's a little bit of a conflict. So Xanathars came out, they clarified it. Um, there is a crafting uh, in Xanathars to tell you the time and the cost it takes to craft a potion of healing. To craft it, you have to have proficiency with a herbalism kit 
Or an herbalism kit, but go nuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to get just a base level, it takes one full day worth of time and 25 gold for a base level uh, potion of healing. One work week and 100 gold for a greater healing. Three work weeks and 1,000 gold for a superior healing. And four work weeks and 10,000 gold for a supreme healing. I love how they're saying work week, like we only like they only go to battle five days out of the week. Yeah, well, you know, if you put in your, if you decide to work overtime that week, yeah. you could get it done in, you know, half the time. Uh, yeah, I think that they say work week just so that you're not sacrificing rests. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, so here's another mechanic that I'm not sure you guys are familiar with, right out of the player's handbook. Recuperating. Okay. You can use downtime between adventures to recover from a debilitating injury, disease, or poison. After three days of downtime spent recuperating, you can make a DC 15 con save. On a successful save, you choose one of the following results. There are only two. You can either end one effect on you that prevents you from regaining hit points, or for the next 24 hours, you gain advantage on saving throws against one disease or poison currently affecting you. So I read about this today. Oh, did you? And I was today years old when I learned that that was a thing. <laughs> I am now years old when I learned that that was a thing. <laughs> and all I could think about was Dan. <laughs> when amount- I read about diseases. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in my defense, my last character limped his way through an entire fucking campaign. Yeah, and the paladin didn't help you worship. Yeah, yeah, so. thanks. Thanks for that one. How's yeah. your leg? It anyway, was, it so was, we have... It was like you had no arms and legs and, and you were going across... The ground was made of cheese grater. And, <laughs> and we saw what came out the other end. It was not good. No. That, that at one point, made it at that one point in time, I went, oh, highly addictive substances. Yeah, that'll help ease the pain. Yeah. Right? So, like, it, it, it just, yeah. It feels a little bit more um, Call of Cthulhu to me that it actually says, like, you could heal yourself if you take the time to do so. I'm sitting here wondering, what, what, what fucking gritty campaign are you running? That no one is going to be able to... This is for when you're, you're rogue and your barbarian and your fighter are stuck in the wilderness 10 days from the nearest village. And they have no healing magic. Yeah. This is how they're going to get past it. Use this in Chult. In a camp out. Yeah. Yeah. Use this in Chult, friends. This will help with Chult. Yeah. But it, it feels weird that it gives you three days. And after... Three days you get to roll a con save, and if you succeed, then it prevents you, or then you can get rid of something that prevents you from gaining hit points. That's pretty big. I mean, you need a greater restoration or a heal or something, right? Yeah. That. So anything, what, level eight and below is going to really appreciate that extra little bit of help. Um, or gain advantage on saving throws against one disease or poison currently affecting you. When you guys run diseases and poisons... Do your saving throws just let you heal them out of your system? Or do you just negate the effects of them for today? Um, first one, okay, poisons, they're out of your system. Diseases takes a couple successes. I've never thought about it until today. And it doesn't matter if there's a paladin because for five of their lay on hands points, bam, that disease is gone. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you were the worst paladin. <laughs> Okay, but am Literally. I not also the best now? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I Literally, there has been moments where I'm rolling up the character for the next campaign when we finally get to it. I'm like, Paladin, show Megan how it's done. No. Fuck. No, no, I'm not going to do that. I what am I going to do? I play a great Paladin. I play an off-coos Paladin. Yeah. How many <laughs> times did you, you use you those? You need to figure your own shit out. <laughs> what was your oath? Uh, oh, uh, protection. 
You're hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How often do you use those features? Okay, I kept you alive more times than you can probably fucking count, so... Okay, all my fingers are falling off, today? so I'm probably only no, at three. No, no, look, look. <laughs> the, way that you, the way that you kept him alive was not through any mechanic or, or spell or anything else. You kept Dan's character alive by looking at Dan across the table, raising one eyebrow, and saying, Really? That's a dumb idea. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'm back up. Just back staying up. alive. <laughs> I did shame you into life, yes. I did. <laughs> I choose. I, I chose to believe that that was in character and not just Mega going. Dan, really? Fuck! Come on. Well, I mean, it made it very easy for me to play it in character. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the amount of times that Megan would be like looking down at her page and just slowly look up at me, make eye contact for a minute while Dan is monologuing, and then just look back down at her page. <laughs> she gave me the gym looking at the camera from the office. <laughs> My favorite. I, I believe it. You probably got that from every player at the table on multiple occasions. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But you you were guilty of, of uh, sending those looks out as well, especially when Terry was being a rogue. He would rogue his way through things, and you would just twitch. Or Jamie with his barbarian. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on to the next thing. So uh, the next thing I want to talk about is exhaustion. Speaking of the slow roll towards death, let's get into this. Some special abilities and environmental hazards, such as starvation, which has, again, never come up in a campaign, not for me anyway, and the long-term effects of freezing or scorching temperatures, which I believe is, that is a factor in Rime of the Frost, maybe. Oh, yeah, it is. And it's also a factor in Descent into Avernus as well, yes, I believe. Yes. So, um, these can lead to a special condition called exhaustion. Exhaustion is measured in six levels. Um, an effect can give a creature one or more levels of exhaustion as specified in the effects descriptions. So here are the here are the six levels, okay? The first one is disadvantage on ability checks. Mm -hmm. The second one is... Oh, by the way, every level includes the previous levels. Yes. Okay, yeah. so the next level, your speed is halved. So now you're ineffective at your ability checks and you are moving at half speed. And then you get disadvantage on attack rolls and saving throws. So anything, that includes, ladies and gentlemen, death saves. Yep. So anything you're rolling a d20 for is at disadvantage. At the fourth level of exhaustion, your hit point maximum is halved. Yep. This is the thing that I find that a lot of people forget. This is brutal. Especially when you have the instant kill rules. Yeah. Um, yeah. Megan just I did that math. Yeah, my brain just did <laughs> I'm like, well, shit. <laughs> at, at level five, your speed is, re is reduced to zero. So you can no longer walk or even crawl. You are just a, a lump clinging to life. And then at sixth level, you are dead. And it just says death. There are no death saves. Yep. If an already existing creature suffers another effect that causes exhaustion, its current level increases by the amount specified in the effects description. A creature suffers the effect of its current level of exhaustion, as well as all lower levels. Uh, and an effect that removes exhaustion reduces its spell, uh, it, or sorry, its level as specified in the effects descriptions. With all exhaustion effects ending if a creature's exhaustion level is reduced below 1. So, you don't get rid of all exhaustion just because it says you can reduce 1 level. Finishing a long rest reduces a creature's exhaustion level by 1. Provided that the creature has also ingested some food and drink. So, I want to ask you guys, if you have taken some levels of exhaustion and then are knocked unconscious, and you roll a 4 on that d4 before you would just naturally wake up again, 
with one hit point. Your long rest does not kick in until after those four hours are done, right? Yeah. Four hours and one round later. So you are not able to get rid of your level of exhaustion for 12 hours. As someone, and I know both all, all of us around this table can agree, as someone who has once stayed up for more than 40 hours and been completely gassed, yeah, you're going to need to sleep for 12 to make up for lost time. Your body needs it. Your body needs it. It makes, makes sense compl- to me. makes complete sense. If they had done it where you go to bed and all of a sudden you're well rested, I'd be like, fuck that. That needs I, to be changed. I have enough issue with you go to bed and you, you regain hit dice. That annoys me. But... Then remember that hit points are not your level of blood in your body. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. it's just literally your endurance level is yeah. the way that it should be played. Your rest and you can function. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, let's talk about rests because we've never mentioned really the mechanics for rests on the show either while we're talking about exhaustion before we dig into it. A short rest is a period of downtime at least one hour long during which a character does nothing more strenuous than eating, drinking, reading, and tending to wounds. Does that mean healing? Yes. Does that mean spells? No. Because then you're not resting. Because that's not eating, drinking, or reading. Or, well, it's tending to wounds. So tending to wounds, I feel like that means you can expend your hit dice, I think. Yes, that's right? that's what it means. You that's can do that on yeah. But you can't cast a spell because that's utilizing or, your energy. Right? Or do or, a, I, I'd say you could do a medicine check. Yeah. But, yeah, I wouldn't let you use a spell slot. I, I would let you use spell slots, but those spell slots do not recover. Like, say, if it was a warlock or something that has your celestial warlock, so you have healing. Um, you would not recover those spell slots back on the short rest. You're still expending that resource. Yeah, that works. You just, we did it before the short rest started or something, right? Like, I mean, it takes six seconds to cast a spell. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with players casting spells during rests. No. Are casting specifically healing spells or restoration spells during rests. No, nope. I feel like if they were to cast a spell during a rest, they would not get their half rest. Like they wouldn't get it. If, yeah. If you were actively it's doing six something. six seconds. Yes, but it expends your energy. And the whole concept is that you're resting. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to agree with Megan on this. The idea would be that, it. yes, you're right. You, you are, you, it's six seconds. It means nothing. So do it early. Because if you decide to heal someone at the 59 minute mark, you're an idiot. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, do it at the beginning of the rest before the rest is really a rest. Do it then. But, like, if my players say, hey, during the rest I want to heal the hit points, sure. Yeah, fine, whatever. Sure, like, I want to cast if, Cure Light Wounds, but you're knocking that spell slot off. You're, sh- you're using that resource. Right. And your rest doesn't begin until you're done. So if everybody else is... If you have to catch the ship leaving, or you have a meeting with the mayor at 1 o'clock, and this shit matters... I'm watching your time. And if you wait 12 minutes in before you go, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm going to heal everybody up. Who wants who wants to be healed? Right? Because you're not just talking about cure wounds. You're also talking about um, mass cure wounds. Right? You're talking about all of the big healing spells as well. Because those are technically tending to wounds. Yeah. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I absolutely am not. If you are going to... It rules as written, the answer is no. Yeah. But it's the same concept as, like, if you decide to stay awake at the campfire and tell ghost stories and then don't go to bed. The next day, you're not you're not going to be well-rested, even though all you did was sit by the campfire and tell ghost stories, which doesn't sound very strenuous, but you still did not go to bed. Therefore, you do not get your rest, right? So I feel like it's the same kind of concept. Well, there's a difference between rest and sleep. You have to sleep for, I forget what the mechanic is, but it's like, I think it's four hours. A night, um, 
Uh, actually, I think that's a 3.5 ruling. I don't think they get into how many hours of sleep you need. The only yeah. one that does it is elves. Yeah, elves is the only one that talks about they need four hours of... Uh, Trance. Of, of actual sleep sleep. Well, no. Mind shut off. It's not even that, that they need that, that sleep. It's just that their four-hour trance counts as a long rest. Yeah. Right? So, again, they're not even talking about how much sleep you are required. Um, and it does say right in the resting, heroic, though they might be, adventurers can't spend every hour of the day in the thick of exploration, blah, blah, blah. They need rest, time to sleep and eat, tend their wounds, refresh their minds and spirits for spellcasting and brace themselves for further adventure. Therefore, in my opinion, if you are casting spells, you are not refreshing your mind and spirits for spellcasting. Yeah. Right? And I, that's where I'm going to draw the line. It feels unnecessary, like, uh, not unnecessarily, un- uncharacteristically stringent on the rules for, for, for 5e. Yeah. That, like, we're splitting up a, like, it, it's splitting hairs over six seconds. It, no, but it absolutely is not when you start to take into consideration People taking watches overnight with a long rest. If you're on the second watch and you decide that you're going to cast a spell, then the answer is no, you don't get your long rest. Agreed. But that's because I'm a dick. (laughs) (laughs) So, a long rest is a period of time um, that's extended downtime at least eight hours long during which a character sleeps or performs light activity Reading, talking, eating, or standing watch for no more than two hours. So no breaking it up into four-hour chunks. Yeah. If the rest is interrupted by a period of strenuous activity, at least one hour of walking, fighting, casting spells, or similar adventuring activity, the characters must begin the rest again to gain the benefit from it. At the end of the long rest, a character regains all lost hit points. The character also regains spent hit dice up to a number of dice equal to half of what they spent during a short rest. And, uh... For example, if a character has eight hit dice, he or she can spend or can regain four spent hit dice upon finishing a long rest. That stacks, right? So the more days that you go out, the less you can recover, which people don't play with. Mm -hmm. It's true. So let's say that you have eight hit dice and on a short rest during that day, you spend all eight. You get four back, which means you can only spend four the next day. Assuming that you spend two, you spent six total. That night, you can gain three back. You see how you're not going to get back up to eight until you find a tavern or just chill the fuck out on the side of a lake, right? I learned that one the hard way in a game once. Did you? Yeah. The DM held true to it, and I didn't even know it was a rule because this was like one of my first or second games I ever played Oh, rough. And so we were out traveling for a good two-week period, and we were in the forest, and we were resting and stuff. And the next day, I'd be like, all right, I'll use my hit dice. And he's like, well, we only have four today. And I'd be like, what? What do you mean? And then you, you explain the rule to me. I'm like, shit! <laughs> uh, and it, it does say as well in it that it doesn't count unless you have one hit point. Yeah. That's in the rules as written. So again, cool. your 1d4 hours does not count towards a long rest. Um, here's one thing that got to me. Here's an argument that I've had around the table. It says, if the rest is interrupted by a period of strenuous activity, and then it lists it, and here's the exact wording, at least one hour of walking, fighting, casting spells, or similar adventuring activity. Does that mean one hour of casting spells or one hour of fighting? Because nobody fights for an hour. I would say the moment that you're casting a spell or entering combat, your rest is done. Um, I The way I read that uh, is training. Like if you have role playing, okay, where I'm going to... Sp- the, the fighter and the barbarian want to go spar for an hour. 
that's what that means, right? To or me, or I'm going to write my spells in my spell book. Not necessarily that you're casting them, but you're learning. Or you're a druid with mold earth, and you are building things see, with see, with mold my, earth. My my issue is literally the way the, the order that they put them in. Because let me read it in a different order. Yeah. Okay. If the rest is interrupted by a period of strenuous activity, fighting, casting spells, similar adventuring activity, or at least one hour of walking is a whole lot different. Yeah, I mean, what you're what you're changing is the different. Is it one hour of the activity or one hour of? Uh, was it one hour of any act, any of these listed activities or one hour of walking? Because I will tell you right now, I am not a small man. I am big. There is weight on me. An hour of walking and ten minutes of sparring with someone will wipe me out in different ways. Yes, I cannot fight for an hour. Even sparring, I couldn't do that. I just freaking couldn't. But I could walk for an hour. It doesn't say run. It doesn't say jog. It doesn't say hike. It says yeah. walk. <laughs> I could walk for an hour without getting out of breath. I can't I can't get in a minute-long fist fight without being out of breath by the end of it. I feel like if your fist fight is lasting more than an hour, there's something wrong. Honestly, <laughs> I have been in fist fights. If it lasts more than a minute, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you're doing it very wrong. <laughs> yes. In D&D terms... That's 10 rounds. That's a long time. <laughs> so how do we feel when we look at exhaustion and rests and the uh, recuperating? Is Do we like how this is all laid out for D&D? Yeah. I think it fits the norm of 5th edition, to be honest. Like, I think it just fits what it's supposed to do. I put exhaustion and the way 5e handles exhaustion up there with the proficiency and advantage systems as um, revolutionary in their benefit to the game. Oh, yeah. This was yeah. a stroke of genius for me. Yeah. As a matter it, of fact... Exhaustion is is just straight up brilliant. Mm-hmm. And how it plays out is brilliant. I mean, I call fourth level uh, exhaustion, you know, session two. Um, so it's, it's typically like at session two, that's when my character has fourth stage exhaustion. And it, and it never goes away. Right? And it never yeah. just goes away. Not for damn. Literally, what has happened to my character multiple times. Yeah. Um, but we also run off crit tables, and that's how that happened to me. But the um, the exhaustion mechanic, uh, using rests properly is great. I love it. Um, spells like catnap need to go away. They're great for what they do, but they need to go away. It, I feel the same way about Spare the Dying. Yeah. Right. It's just... Yeah, we talked about Spare the Dying a lot. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a get-out-of-jail-free card, and I don't like it. It makes the DM's job harder as far as making the world feel deadly. Especially because you can take it as a, can, as a cantrip. Right? It is a cantrip. Yeah, so yeah. you can just take it and be goddamn thought with it. But no, I think that the main piece, if, especially if you're going to be holding true to these rules in a campaign, I, I feel like if you're going to pick and choose which ones you utilize, be consistent. Because there's nothing more frustrating than being a player and spending a year and a half playing a game and all of a sudden today is the day my DM decided that because it didn't doff my armor, he's going to give me an exhaustion point. Yeah, because I already had five and then he, it occurs to him, wait. You're, you're still wearing your armor. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. you're just like, that has never been an issue before. I yeah. have been at tables where DMs use the camping in the middle of the woods as a gotcha moment on his players and that's always a bad idea. Yeah, it's not it's fair. Ju- it's ju- you're just being... I mean, it's fine if you're level one and you're teaching them that this is what the campaign is going to be like going forward. That's fine. If you're two years into a campaign and you're level 15, 16, 17, you're just trying to use it as a, well, if, you didn't think you, about this until now. Uh, if, if you are engineering a rest 
for a gotcha moment, you are under a responsibility or a requirement as a DM to be like to a new player, to someone who's never touched Dungeons and Dragons, to let them know, hey, here are the consequences if you don't get out of your armor, if you don't uh, actually take rest, and here's what rest is. Yeah. And I would say that it's not even if they've never played before. If they're within the first six months of playing, double check. Yeah. Like, because not everybody runs eight-hour sessions once a week like clockwork like we do, right? Like, a lot of people get to play maybe once a month. And are you going to remember the, the pardon the pun, ins and outs of donning and doffing armor? Yeah, right. So, but like, oh, will you remember that five sessions later when you're new to D&D? And then also the, the, the long it takes you to put your armor on. Yeah, it's a bit like, ridiculous. It's crazy. Like, and again, it's just those small things sometimes that can make or break that day for that player. Yeah. And, and, uh, sorry, uh, just, just one other thing about the, the gotcha moments. When I'm running a tier one party, I roll random tables on what's going to pop up overnight. Yeah. Those random tables are, and I'm not joking, you hear crickets. A cloud moves in front of the moon for four hours and it's particularly dark. You set the scene. Yes. And that's it. It's environmental details. Yeah. And then as... Or 80% of them. I'm Yeah. I, I'm not kidding. It is every fourth. So on 4, 8, 12, 16, or 20, an event happens. 20 is a combat. 16 might be if they're at the end of tier 2, but the other ones are not. But there's something comes by. A social encounter appears and for some reason. if you decide to fight it, you fight it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a ghost shows up but won't fight you. They'll yeah. talk to you. Yeah. They'll try to scare you away. It'll be something like that. And and that is how I would run this, especially for new players. Yeah. Because gotcha moments are fun for a DM for the first three minutes. And then you're wondering why everyone else is mad at you and why no one's playing with you ever again. And, and how come I can quiet. never find a group? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're, you're the problem. Yeah. I will say, though, Megan, you, you did have a good point. The first rest of a campaign, it does not matter how experienced your party is. The first rest of a campaign, go over what you're expecting. Yeah. Teaching moment. Right? Yeah. Uh, because stuff like this is the stuff that will fall through the cracks of a session zero, which there will be a lot of stuff that will fall through the cracks of a session zero that you do want to cover later on. This is one of those things. First time it comes up, cover it. And then everybody knows, move on. Yeah, and then you're held accountable to it if it yeah. happens. And then you're not going to be like, oh, forget it, fuck you. <laughs> now, I am not wearing my glasses, but I can see that Dan has the book open to a spell section, and I think it's Xanathar's. Yes. And you want to talk about catnap, don't you? I do. Um, <laughs> Yay, go me. Bring up catnap. Be- That's what no, we're going to no, call it. It's not catnap. It's catnap. <laughs> catnap. Nip. Is a third level enchantment spell. Cats have eight nips. Yeah. Um, that takes a action to cast within a range of 30 feet. And its duration is 10 minutes. Uh, it is somatic and all you require is a little pinch of sand as a material component. No verbal component. So there's no like... Mr. Sandman. Yeah, there's none of that. No one no one at the table has to sing. <laughs> Megan. Can I, no one at the table sorry. has to sing. <laughs> Can I please have a lullaby? <laughs> but what it is is you make a calming gesture... Which, as a parent, is something completely different than what I suspect people who don't have kids would be. Like, my calming gesture to my kids is not a calming gesture. <laughs> it's just throttling them, Homer Simpson style? Yeah, or something. Roll up newspaper. Anyway, so you <laughs> grab the, you make a calming gesture, and up to three willing creatures of your choice that you could see within range are uh, fall unconscious for the spell's duration, which is ten minutes. Hmm. The spell ends... Uh, um, on a target early, if it takes damage or someone uses an action to shake or slap it awake. 
Um, if a target that's, that's remains, an unarmed strike, by the way, and will cost you one yeah. point. If a target remains unconscious for the full duration, however, that target gains the benefits of a short rest, and it cannot be affected by the spell again until it finishes a long rest. Now, this has the scaling thing, as all spells do, which is another thing I love about 5th Which edition, is just more people? Which is just more people, the higher spell slot you use. And I have a question. Okay, this is great. I find it broken, but I have a question. Are mounts willing creatures? Do mounts need short rests? Yeah, if you travel. What about a, a what about a uh, familiar? I would say familiars, yes, but pets. Yeah, as as someone who had a familiar, just let that fucker die and summon him back with, with an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why my familiar hated me. This so is why this is why your character is covered in raven shit all the time. So the thing I like about this is the mitigation of can only be affected by this spell once per long rest. So if you have had this spell affect you, you could only be affected by it the one time. I feel like it's a, ha-ha, you fooled me once kind of thing in my mind. <laughs> well, it, it's it's very much a, we are way, this is, this, is the kind, this is the kind of spell I would have scrolls of, not have prepared for the day. That makes sense. Right? Because this is a, oh crap, we're, right before the boss, we've used a lot more of our resources coming up to this point that we thought we did. Just take the 10 minutes, not a full short rest. When, when you get a week off, you're prepping this with your contingency spell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess so. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like it, but I also like that you can't fool people with it. It is willing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important. Yes. You'll notice that it says unconscious and not go to sleep because there are some creatures that can't be put to sleep by magical means. Like elves. Yeah, so. So, ah, 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 it's unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I once had an elf player say, so does that mean I trans for five minutes? I'm like, fuck you, no, you're unconscious for ten minutes, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Die in a fire. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, before we move on, I just want to remind everyone listening that you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit. You can also reach out to us through our email at info at It's a Mimic dot com because we love hearing from you guys. And any questions that you send us will get added to the lists for our upcoming mailbag episodes. Hi everybody, it's Adam. Once again, we're dedicating a full episode to conditions and condition effects in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. And we can't have these conversations without discussing our old friend, WildBot 3D. WildBot 3D has really revamped their website since the last time we discussed them on the show, and you should definitely check out the updated options there. They still have those glorious tracker rings that display the conditions in 3D on your gaming table, and they fit so beautifully around standard medium-sized minis and cover nearly everything we've been discussing on these condition-heavy episodes. They're color-coded, easy to read, unique, and fun to add to all of your D&D games. I use them in my own game all the time, and I've come to rely on them to keep track of which character has what spell or condition affecting them. My personal favorite is the enlarged tracker, but they're all great for both DMs and players alike to buy. Monks that stun, clerics that curse, and warlocks that hex, there are tracker rings for you in here too. But WildBot 3D offers more than just these tracker rings now. There are also unique character sheets for martial and caster classes, there's beautiful dice, and hilarious D&D themed t-shirts. My next purchase is going to be the initiative tracker rings, which help display who's going in which order, and are incredibly useful for keeping track of multiple monsters on your map. These things are a game changer, so head on over to wildbot3d.com and check them out on Instagram. But for now, let's head on back to the discussion. I want to now talk about the thing that pisses me off the most. 
my least favorite mechanic in 5th edition, and that is asphyxiation. Swallowed, drowning, asphyxiating, all of it. Guys, do you know what I'm about to launch into? Have you? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> okay. Let's hear it. Let's go over for the listeners, Adam. All right. So, so there... wait, to confirm, this isn't rules as written in a book, is it? Yes. Yeah. Which book? D&G. Oh, okay. Understood. Go on. Yeah. I had a so much hard time trying to find these in a book, and that's because the one book I don't have is a D. <laughs> <laughs> There's this wonderful thing called the internet, Megan. Yeah, but I don't like using the internet. It, it, My, the internet and are not friends. Just, Anyways, just use on. Bing. Yikes. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> Terry's not Suffocating. Here, so Suffocating is the only thing that's mentioned in the player's handbook. Okay. A creature can hold its breath for a number of minutes equal to one plus its constitution modifier. It's a minimum of 30 seconds. When a creature runs out of breath, it can survive for a number of rounds equal to its constitution modifier, minimum of one round. At the start of its next turn, it drops to zero hit points and is dying. Yeah, so we've talked about this before in the sense where that is a lot of time. That is potentially six fucking minutes yeah. without magic items boosting you above 20. Yeah, yeah. which in D&D is 60 rounds. <laughs> yep. Like that's a long time. Um, I I think that this is this has got to be a typo. Like it. Like it. I just, don't think so. I I okay. In all seriousness, no, it's not. But I would hope it is because minutes. Yeah. So this happened to me in a live game at one point because this was one of my first games I ever played, and I had this really cool idea where I was a fighter and I took a chain and I jumped on the back of this giant like thing and tried to choke it out. With this chain, because I was strong. I'm not really going to fall off. I'm just going to choke this thing out. Yep. Um, and he's like, okay, well, it's going to take... Six minutes. 60 rounds. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, what? <laughs> this should not be minutes per constitution modifier. It should be rounds, rounds. per yeah. constitution modifier. Oh, I, I hard disagree on that. You're telling me that, that barbarian with the 20 into constitution can't hold his breath for longer than 30 seconds? But I think that just the math in general needs to change. Like... Maybe not 30 seconds, maybe do it like, I don't know, 10, 5 seconds, 10 uh, seconds. Okay, all right, so so here's what, here's what I got. Just make the math work. All right, so here, here's, here's my thing. You can hold your breath, the rules as written, just fucking fine. Mm-hmm. But if we have a difference between what is strenuous activity and what isn't for rests, then shouldn't we also have that for, you can swim underwater, if you've got 20 constitution, that's fine, but you're in combat... Underwater, now it's rounds. One plus rounds. Yeah. It's kind of like your concept of like how if I'm fighting something for an hour versus if I'm just walking for an hour. Two exactly. Very different things. I don't know. I am I am not a strong swimmer. I have almost straight up drowned. Have you ever been times. wet? Like, it, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that you've... That's an awkward question for everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> if you take it that way, I, Megan. I just, you know... Um, we, we, we expect that shit from Terry or Brad <laughs> or Dave or me or Dan, but not from you. I know, I'm the tame one. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I, I authentically, I don't like swimming. Unfortunately, I married a swimmer. Oh. Uh, my wife, it's, I always joke that she was born with gills. She swam competitively for years. Yeah. Um, her grandma teaches swimming in Tennessee and kind of groomed Shannon to take over the business one day. So regardless of all that, I've almost drowned several times in my life. Mm. 
there is a significant amount of anxiety about going swimming. Swimming itself is a strenuous activity. Yeah. I mean, you need to be athletic for sure, but uh, this is just about how much you can hold your breath. Right? Which is why I'm I'm completely okay with saying that, yes, your barbarian with a 20 constitution... Can probably handle it for a couple of rounds. Can probably handle it for six rounds. Yeah. Which is, you know, 36 seconds. Michael Phelps can hold his breath for how long? True, but he's a professional swimmer, so why not have a swimmer feet? Because, because you have already pumped into your constitution already. That is your swimming stat. Yeah, that is that is your swim stat. That is everything that you... If you if your athletics... Actually, actually, make, a, make an athletics check. Yeah, funny enough. Constitution isn't your swimming stat. It should be. Well, okay, that's right. Con- <laughs> well, strength you're right. is your swim stat. Yeah, strength is your swim, but con is how long you can hold your breath. So, yes, you can sit there and flap your arms or however you describe swimming for as for 25 minutes outside of water. Yeah. But you need to be able to get a breath, right? And, and so, that's your constitution. Yeah, and, and that's just it. Michael Phelps can do that. He is a professional swimmer, a barbarian, a sorcerer with 20 con should be able to, to hold their breath that long. They need to make athletics checks to see how well they swim, but they should be able to hold their breath that long. Why not have a, here's my alternative option, have it so that you, your constitution modifier is the amount of rounds you can hold your breath. Once you reach the end, you start making gradually more difficult saving throws that are con saves to hold your breath every single round further until, you know, it's an impossible save and you start the drowning process. I feel like it should be a concentration check on whether you remember to hold your breath or not. Because, like, no, if you think about... If okay, you we're done a, talking about barbarians in this no, specific but, example. I need to breathe now. Glug, no, glug, glug. I'm just imagining myself if I was to be drowning and fighting some kind of a monster underwater. And I'm fighting it and I'm focusing on too many things. I'm trying to cast spells, do all these things. And then all of a sudden I remember that I'm underwater. There would be, to your point, a sense of panic. So it's almost like you have to do some kind of a concentration check to be like, okay, focus on the fact that I need to hold my breath. Which is a con check. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I have agree. a con check if you're fighting underwater. I agree. The only thing that I'm going to say is that we have sat here and touted how great 5th edition is for streamlining things and making it easy for players. What you guys are doing is the exact opposite of that. I am a big fan of homebrewing this because it makes no fucking sense. But my idea is that the moment you do anything beyond swimming or I can dash across a room and still hold my breath just fine. Right. If I have to enter a room full of Dan smell, for example, and I'm gonna get all the way across, and I gotta pick up the item on the far side, turn around, and run back out again. Yeah. Then I'm not suddenly making death saving throws because I, I ran those those 15 feet. To, no, I'm not doing that. Right. However, shit, I, I, I that's that's an easy walk to me. I'm not sprinting for three minutes. Mm. Right. So this is why I say the moment that you hit strenuous activity. You should start counting it in rounds. And even then, I'm not sure you should be dying when you get to zero. Uh, that's why I like the idea of a con save. Yeah. It's, it, I think the con save makes it easier. It, so you it just does. Take out everything else and then just make it con saves. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like underwater combat and um, flying combat in fifth edition are definitely those things where they designed the game on a 2D flat space. Yeah. And then the second, you know, Going down or going up became involved. They went. Oh, I don't know. Oh, oh no! I, I, I will give you one more. 
the moment that they that you say, I'd like to ride a horse while I do it, they just flip the table and walk the fuck away. Yeah. yeah like, you, you're a tiefling variant with wings at level one. All right, grats, you've broken the game. Fantastic. Yeah. Because no goblin is going to throw a javelin at you, flying devil man. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just imagining being, like, if you think about spells, you have to concentrate on the fact that you are casting this spell. And if you get hit by something, the concept is that you get winded or your mind shifts. There we go. I like that better. I yeah. like that where uh, you have to make a con save if you take damage. Yeah. Because, like, in my mind, if you get hit, you're going to get winded, and you're going to instinctively take a breath in, swallow some water, and... <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> it's going to be so nice for people to listen to at home. Let's just make wet effects. noises. Just <laughs> Megan sound effects. They <laughs> You're fucking welcome. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't declared yourself to be a uh, delicate feminine flower. Yeah. Uh, we didn't do a sound check. That's why. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So, if my audio is off, it's your fault. Okay. It usually is. <laughs> So, suffocation. Broken. Mm -hmm. We can't really seem to agree on how to fix it. We all have different ideas about it. But I definitely think for Dungeon Masters out there, it's something you need to look at. Yeah. Um, I went looking in Ghosts of Saltmarsh for the mechanic. um, And they had actually updated ship combat, but not underwater combat. Which, guys. Yeah. Please. That I'm, like, I really need an update on underwater combat. The amount of time underwater your characters spend in Ghosts of Saltmarsh. Why? <laughs> yeah, like it's it's a lot, isn't it? So, um, but let's uh, let's talk about this. When you are being swallowed, as one gets, continue. <laughs> I now have dance. <laughs> there are a number of different swallow mechanics, but each one of them is based on a different monster. They all work slightly differently. Right, how it works for the Astral Dreadnought, for example, um, works a whole lot differently for something like um, uh, like a Purple Worm, right? Um, the Tarrasque has a swallow the mechanic in it as well. So Dan is losing his shit here. Well, I'm going to call it a Sparrow mechanic because it's almost like a swallow, but it's not going to make Dan giggle as much. <laughs> no, it still will. You are just a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, with with these swallow mechanics, is now going to think that's how I laugh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was Dan. That was not me. <laughs> we are on episode eighty. Fucking what? Do they know how you laugh? <laughs> this um, is episode ninety three. Oh, exactly. Okay, so, um, so look, when it comes to that swallow mechanic, where you're sitting inside something's stomach, getting either crushed to death or dealing with acid or whatever it is, however that mechanic breaks out. You cannot breathe, and that should be a factor here. However, you still have six minutes of living. Like, you're going to run out of hit points first. Yeah, because you can breathe forever. We've learned this. Yeah. Or not breathe breathe forever. forever. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. Um, But uh, this makes Interstellar a lot shorter of a movie. Gravity, too. (laughs) Mm, Yes. Um, (laughs) Do you guys like the, the swallowed mechanic of this, or do you think that it should be, like, you get crushed and, and, um, and well, I think the, the issue with Swallow for me <laughs> um, is that every monster that has an ability does something different with it. Yes. Yeah. So like, it's almost like it's not even its own rule because everything has its own homebrew rule for it. Yeah, I really feel like it should have an automatic bludgeoning damage. Not, not like you're being crushed, but bludgeoning damage and acidic damage. And you should just be able to say there should be a freaking chart in the monster manual that says, you know, level one, level two, level three of 
of either. Like, it's a D4 of this and a D6 of that, depending so, on the kind of monster. If you were going to be swallowed by something like Quicksand, what then mechanic would you use? You would be engulfed. Engulfed. Oh, my God. Why? <laughs> uh, because that is actually the mechanic for oozes. Is okay, engulfed, that's true. Right? Okay. So that's... That's where I go with that. I stand corrected. Um, but again, when you're engulfed by a gelatinous cube, you should be making, um, you should be keeping track and making notes for how long you've been without air. Yeah. Because as much as we're sitting here saying, oh, it could be as much as six minutes, it could be 30 freaking seconds if con is your dump stat. Yep. It's true. So, um, I, I, my only, my one and only problem with, uh, the swallow mechanic in in D&D 5e is not enough creatures can do it. That is my only problem. I feel it. like any creature should be able to technically do it should they decide to eat something. They, they should just have the ability, if you are three size categories larger, you should be able to swallow someone. Yeah. And there should just be a generic thing with a, with a table in the monster manual. Yeah. Like, if, if, if you know, your frost giant has a gnome in front of it, then mm-hmm. you're yeah. Right? Like, that's just... I think that makes perfect fucking sense. Yeah. And when you have things like uh, snakes that can uninjure jaws and stuff, you just put it in the fucking stat block that they can do it for two size categories instead of three, right? Like, whatever. Or you yeah. follow the um, Goliath stat block example and be like, you count as a creature one size category larger. Exactly, for right? This. However they want to phrase it, yeah. you, you can adapt it, but they should just have a basic rule for, um, for when creatures get that swallowed mechanic. We've talked about um, all of this except um, drowning specifically. When you fall unconscious, you are immediately into death saves. Mm-hmm. So you are no longer holding your breath hard stop. Yeah. That yep. makes perfect sense. That's the one thing I do like. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. Yeah. Um, before we get into our last topic, there's one more thing I'm going to surprise you guys with that I didn't put in the, inter- the itinerary. <sighs> How but dare I, you? I thought about it on the way down. Speaking of... All the things that are going to kill you and knock you out. Is no one else annoyed that there is no mechanic for being the fuck on fire? Every spell says, except magic items and you know anything that is being worn or carried. But That's you, stupid. But you take damage, but but your items are on fire taking damage every round. That is just a nicety, nicety to players that they put in to manage bookkeeping. And fuck that shit. You're taking fire damage, you're taking fire damage. Like, we should be able to light people on fire more than just alchemical fire, right? At level one. Yeah. Um, There was an instance in our campaign where my character died in a fire. Homebrewed. He's okay. I was just be like, because I'm pretty sure I lost some things in that (laughs) You were You were face down in a fire, and the fire was consistently, like, you were in a... In a fire. Yeah. (laughs) The environment was flames. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> and you were face down in a taking constant damage. So I understand what you're saying. You're saying that if you were just standing there and get blasted by fire, the fire suddenly gets extinguished is what you're saying. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, magical fire kind of wicks over you and it's supposed to be done. You take it's, a lot it's, of heat it's, damage, but... It's it, bursted, like... It's bursting, right? Yeah. There's no sustained burn It's like to standing it. in front of a propane thing that goes... <laughs> Look, as someone... barbecue. Uh, yeah. I, I, was at a, I was at a birthday party when I was younger and there was a kid who lit the barbecue when the propane had been on for way too long. Excellent. And lost his eyebrows and a little bit of the front of his hair. Was and that you? Was no, it was, no, it was not me. <laughs> okay. um, was it me? No, it was. No, it sounds like a thing that you would do, but it, it was not. It, it, it's something I have done recently. Oh, so, well, um, but that shit is going to like leave a freaking mark, definitely. But I feel like 
your your fireball blowing up is yes a blast, but your sacred flame, your green flame blade, like there are things that should be doing damage. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. Like, even the uh, even the steam breath of the dragon turtle. You shouldn't just shake that off four seconds oh, later. As, as someone who's worked in a kitchen, steam burns are far worse than fire burns. Yeah, it should almost be like far for worse. a 1d4 rounds, you take burn damage at the beginning of your turn. Yeah, that feels a little bit more likely to me. And I also think that there should be some sort of mechanic like when you are on fire, you need to put it out after two rounds, add a d6. After three rounds, add another d6. So that you are getting more burned the longer this goes. Get into the lake. Yeah. I have been. Stop, drop, and roll. I have been on fire. I was lit on fire. And I managed to get the fuck away from that as quickly as possible. And I did not get any permanent burns because I managed to get that shit off of my face. But it sat there for three seconds. Mm -hmm. I was wearing a Halloween mask and someone lit it on fire. Oh my god. Um, And I managed to, to tear that shit off my face after three seconds. And yeah, man, I was like sunburn like there was surface level skin damage and then i had to heal my way if that had been another three seconds that would have been third degree burns right and getting worse and worse and worse yeah like i just the idea that i can't as a dungeon master like how often do you throw the lantern into the room and then the oil smashes and and it, it lights up on fire and then we never talk about it again. Well, the the knoll took 1d4 damage and is now He's angry. passed through the flames. People just walk through walls of fire all the fucking time. Every single person in Dungeons & Dragons is the cool guy because no one looks at the fire. And this this is my this is my complaint about there needs to be levels of fire as well. Hmm. For example, I believe there should be fire, alchemical fire, dragon breath, and then beyond that, hellfire. hellfire yeah. And hellfire should burn you. You do not put that fucking shit out. You need to have divine intervention to get hellfire to stop burning it, mm-hmm. right? Like, get some holy water up in here, right? But doesn't it feel like that should be another thing that should be in the discussion of drowning, asphyxiating, uh, exhaustion? Burning. There should be burning. Yeah. And while we're at it, a similar thing for acid because acid is always skin deep in deep and over time damage. Like it's a damage yeah. over time kind of thing. Well, you know, we lost the mechanic for bleeding. In fifth edition, we, there's and that saddens me more than anything else. Is the bleed mechanic being gone? I loved the bleed mechanic just because it's it's something that um, is very very special and unique with a certain kind of weapon that is going to keep a wound open. Yeah, it wasn't all the, all the time, but under certain circumstances, wounds would not close. No, cut too deep. And it means that you needed something like a Lesser Restoration spell to fix that. And it would actually add some weight to a Lesser Restoration other than scars and one disease effect. The, yeah, like it's it's bad. Yeah, no, I'm all of their damage over time. And no, they, it doesn't do it doesn't do scars. Uh, greater Restoration is scars, right? Right, but Lesser doesn't. Yeah. All of their damage over time mechanics in this game have been horribly overlooked from poison to acid to fire to uh, bleeding. Yeah, they all needed a rework and did not get it for this. You could add concussion in there now if you want to. Yeah, if you had, if you could take levels of concussion like you do exhaustion. Yeah. Good lord. Dead. <laughs> Anyone who plays Barbarian is already screaming at their speakers, being like, "No, no!" <laughs> Session four with with my gnome. I would. I like peanuts. <laughs> like it just would have been bad. Like you've never had a peanut before. My name is uh, Peanut. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the last thing that I want to talk about is 
not a mechanic, but it is a commonly known phrase that is used in D&D. And that's the idea of a death spiral. So the idea of a death spiral is because the action economy is so important in 5th edition, as you start to lose players, as your character starts to to, uh, die off and your party becomes smaller and smaller, your chances of survival become less and less. Mm -hmm. If you have a party of six and one drops and then another drops and then another drops, the likelihood for every other player to die becomes much greater with every person that has already dropped. Yep. Have you guys ever seen a death spiral? Oh, so many times. Yeah. Have you seen it in 5th Ed? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, what was that like? I have never witnessed a death Actually, that's not true. I saw you guys. I ended up uh, hand-waving that too. They want to keep you alive. Yes. And that's so, what I was going to say. Yeah. But <laughs> both of us have seen it at the table. At your table. With you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was action economy based. That was oh, yeah. Purely no. action yeah. economy. You guys went up against a Marilyn. Yeah. And seven attacks plus a reaction? No, like, you're fucked. There's, yeah. there's nothing you could do. Yeah, I've also just seen it in, like, tier one campaigns where you suddenly meet the big, big bad, not realizing this isn't the time where you're supposed to fight it, and someone stupidly accidentally starts to fight it, and the DM takes it as an opportunity to teach a lesson, but just ends up killing everybody. And then, like, I've seen things like that happen. You could like, go from zero to TBK in a heartbeat yeah. if if you're not careful as a DM. Um, as much as we rant about how hard it is to kill players in this game, the second they start dropping, they start dropping. Yeah, it's hard to come back from it once you reach a certain point. Yeah, especially if you've knocked the cleric out first and there's the per- there's the one guy at the table who's like, fine, I'll play the healer. Yeah. Take that guy out first and now your party's buggered. Drop your paladin, you can't do your... your- you can't get your um, bonus on your saves. Yep. Like you're just and and it's there's a lot of that. Anything that has protection style fighting, yeah. right? Like even take out your meat shield. Your wizard's fucked. Yep. <laughs> like <laughs> so, how often do you guys run into death spirals? Like it's not often. Uh, Dan, I, Dan plays a lot of like tactical, yeah. hard hitting, min maxed, but but ridiculously unforgiving. You say more combat heavy too. Right? If, if you're yeah. playing a combat heavy campaign, it's going to pop up a lot more. Um, and to be completely honest, uh, I've had more than a dozen campaigns probably do- uh, end because of a TPK from a death spiral. Uh, right? For those and, of you and, that don't know, TPK is a total party kill. Yeah. That is every single player in the party just dead, dead, dead. Not on death saves, dead, dead. Um, I. At what point does it become scary as a player? Honestly, with as 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 well as I'm starting to know the game now, the second one player drops, I am concerned. You mean drops to and death dead, saves dead. or drops dead, to dead. death saves? Yeah, I am concerned because action economy is so important in five e. If one player drops, that means one player is going to spend their turn trying to get that player back up, which means you've now lost two players for that turn. If you're in a party of five, you've gone in one action from five possible attacks to three. Yeah. And that's not included. uh, And that's not including any of the other, um, you know, peripheral stuff that might be going on in that situation. Well, and let's be honest, too. You also have one fewer target on your side. Like... If there are five of us that walk into the room, I can take roughly twenty percent of the of the attacks. Yeah, right. That's how the game is built. The barbarian is obviously going to take more than the wizard, but generally speaking, if we average it out, twenty percent out of a five person party. Yeah. 
But when that becomes 25% and then 33% and then 50%, I'm not sure I can live that long. No. Yeah, and like to your point, as soon as a character goes down, if you have a support character in that game that's doing things like buffing or debuffing or helping the party in some way, you're taking that out of the game style now. Yeah. So it's almost like if the DM wants to almost stop this character from buffing the barbarian or debuffing their monster, kill someone, and then that takes that support character out of the equation. It takes what's stopping you from killing these other characters away and that's how the spiral kind of starts getting out of control for the players honestly i find spirals will occur much more often in a table where the dm is the adversary than where the dm is part of the group telling a story i know we haven't had very many death spirals at your table adam but that's mostly because you are affected by our character death more than we are <laughs> he laughs. But I don't know. At the same time, I also feel like anytime we have died in an Adam campaign, or anytime I've died in a death spiral in another campaign, there's usually a reason behind it. There was usually a gross misstep in judgment heading into it. Yeah. Right? Like, we can take it. No, you can't. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. there's something good. You were warned three times in town not to do this. And you decided to do it anyway. Yeah. Death spiral is around the corner. Or it was intentional by the DM because it is based for the storyline, right? Yeah. Like this, maybe it maybe a total party kill is supposed to happen to progress the story in another direction. This is part of the game that can be avoided by changing a single word in the player handbook, and it's simply the removal of the word knowledge. If you have your arcana, your history, your nature, your um, religion checks. And you just put knowledge next to them or or you make sure your players know that they could roll these things to figure out how big of a threat that monster is. Then you're going to save a lot of death spirals because I've been up. I've been party to a lot of groups who go, oh, yeah, we're level three. We could take on that dragon. No, friends, you can't. Right. <laughs> you, you just you can't. Or we're level three. We could take on that on keg. No, friends, you can't. I'm going to be honest, though. As a dungeon master, you're level three. You can't take on my goblin if I have set that up against you. Yeah. Because that little fucker's built traps. He's conniving. He's got a couple of friends sitting around the corner waiting for you. Right? Like, it's really up to the DM. So, how do you... Like, do you guys help a party that is suddenly overwhelmed? I, I would to a degree. It depends, I guess, situational, like we've been talking. But, like... If you're going into a death spiral and you don't want this party to die and you know what's going to happen, throw an NPC in there that's going to help guide them in the right direction, right? And if they decide to heed the warning, they decide to heed the warning. If they don't and they go into it and they decide to take it, it becomes a lesson. No, but when you're in mid-spiral, when two have dropped and there are three running around like chickens with their heads cut off, and one of them probably does have their head cut off, (laughs) when all they're still running... It's Dungeons and Dragons. Well, when all of this crazy shit is happening, do you as a dungeon master take a breath and say, how can we, how can we rescue, how can we salvage this party? We've or done do we just let it lie? Once in your campaign, and I think it's a really fun one to tell, it was when we were in the in these tunnels and we were cornered by a bunch of, was it Knowles? What was it? <laughs> and so we were in a room full yeah. of, and we were just like barricading a door and you we were going sewers. to die. Yeah. We were going to die and we knew it. And we ended the campaign that day because we just didn't know what the fuck to do. You guys ended up in, in a dead end with a gigantic room outside of a smaller like, yeah. room. You were in the small room with a door closed and beyond it was a very large room with, with big Shoulder double doors. Shoulder. Uh, oh, yeah. And yeah. there were, I'm not kidding, 
40 knolls, including Flynn's, and there were, like, there was many, many more than just standard knolls. Yeah. Because you guys were supposed to fight one knoll at a time, maybe groups of two or three as you progress through the sewers. What did you do? Make all the fucking noise. Yeah. And at, at, at some point, I just went, what do I do? Yes, they're coming. And I tried to warn you, so you would turn around and run the other direction. What did you do? You ran directly into, into the dead end. Yes. <laughs> and then closed the door behind you and looked at each other and went, well, this is it. Last stand then, right? What do we have? I've got a level two spell left. And like, oh, Whoa. I have three three crossbow bolts. Megan, I I I have lay on hands. Uh, yeah, I can hear But you, you can't have it. Yeah. But like, so what ended up happening was we ended up ending that game early that day. Because yeah, Dan yeah, wasn't even session. there. Yeah, I wasn't session. there in that session. And so we just decided to Y'all motherfuckers would have gotten that situation if I was there. But that was it. We as the players, and like, and I'm pretty sure Adam is the DM, decided to call that game. We're yeah. like, okay, this is where we need to end it today because we all need to think about what the fuck we just did. Yeah. And then we came back in and the DM, Adam, had a solution for us where suddenly the dumb gnome character came and saved us all. Yes, I had to say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so Dan... I, Adam goes, hey, they're in this situation. And I went, oh, I got the scroll of Meteor Swarm. Yeah, sure. Okay, I'll save them. And then Adam went, you're on a floating city. Are you sure? And I'm like, do we have another option? And Adam went, this is your option. No, no, no. no. Adam said, I don't know, do you? And Dan heard no. Yeah. And that was it. What didn't occur to Dan at all was using dancing lights... Or something down the other direction. True. There was no decoy involved. It was yeah. how can I murder everything now? Yeah. And so, and that was that. That was, it was on track for character. Yeah, but you guys were in <laughs> such dire straits, and Dan came in. There was another time where you guys were in a village, and you faced uh, Merilith, and that's when the Merilith, who I gave the ability to uh, teleport. Um, was teleporting in, beating you guys in the face seven times. Hitting one character seven times and then teleporting uh, out. No, no, uh, not always teleporting out, but like slithering away and then teleporting over to somebody else. Just focusing damage on one person after another because I run all of my monsters at max hit points. Yeah, yeah. They, she was just, she lasted forever. You guys had split the party. Your heavy hitter wizard was around the corner. The gnome was hanging out in the outhouse fighting cultists. Sounds about right. Yeah, and and solving a puzzle. Sure. Yeah. But the paladin and the rogue were getting their asses whooped. And at that point, she grappled you, because that was your favorite thing. Favorite. Hugs. And, mm. and teleported with you up onto a roof and then left you on a burning building. Yeah. And Which that's, is on fire because of the gnome. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. And then systematically from there, the death spiral hit and there was nothing we could do about it. Yep. And that was it. I thought you guys were in for a death spiral too when you ran into that death tyrant and Terry went down. Yeah. Yep. And then a zombie popped up, and I went, "Well, shit! Now what?" Because the party was split. Yep. If if um, if whose character came down, it was Me. you came down the rope to come help out. Yeah. Right at the last minute, you were forced down by an NPC. Yeah. Uh, no, I wasn't forced down by an NPC. No, no, there was. I, else. I was forced down by another player. Oh no! Yeah. Yes. Who was all like, "You get your ass down there and save my friend." Yes. And I went, "Okay, big scary necromancer." Whatever you say. Yeah. <laughs> but, I think, but I think the point is is that, yes, a death spiraler is occurring, but there are things you can do as a DM to get control back and make it a part of the story and make it a little bit more interesting and make it the fact that that happened the cool story that you tell. Because we yeah. just spent the last 10, 15 minutes telling cool stories. Like, that's the coolest shit in D&D is when death spirals occur. Because that's when the weirdest stuff happens. 
Yeah, and that's when Dan, who was away last week, comes in for a Hail Mary. That, And, I mean, the way that you got out of literally burning to death on top of a roof was nobody witnessed your death. Yeah. Um, we hit your last death save, and it was not, like, you're on fire. You're face down in fire. I said, you do not get a death save. Mm-hmm. And you're unconscious, so we faded to black on Megan's character, and when they went up there to rescue her, she was gone. Yeah. And then the same thing happened when Terry went up to rescue her. And then he ended up in the flames fighting this thing one-on-one, and he was a damn rogue, right? Going toe-to-toe with this demon who was, I think, an appropriate CR level for a level four party. And and then he went down. Yeah. And then Dan's character showed up and got raffle stomped. Uh, I You were not the last one. You were the third one down. Because our necromancer was the last one down because she was busy murdering the mayor behind the building. Oh, yes. Yeah. And then decided... Well, there's no one else alive. I might as well die. But because you all went down out of view from everyone else, I was able to capture you instead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then make you sacrifice all your NPCs to save your own asses. Yeah, just two of them. What a great time. Two very important NPCs. And you summoned Demogorgon in the process. Ah, details. But that's what I mean. Is like total death spirals give so much... Like, room to create and build the story. I, I think what we're trying to say is if you find yourself in a death spiral and you are the DM or you're in the, you're the player, it, it's not time to panic. Take a moment, figure out how to get out of it. You also will probably still be panicking, but it will be cool at the end and a fun story to sell later. True, right? Because I know you, <laughs> as Adam, were panicking running that and we hit the death spiral and you're like, what the fuck? Well, yeah, I, we, I made you guys leave the room when I was done. I just sat there and looked at the battle map and went, well, fuck. I actually wrote that down as one of my most traumatizing deaths as well. That was my, my second one that I had written down. Um, I just didn't see that one coming. None of us saw that coming. <laughs> I, I was going to mention an NPC death for my most traumatizing, but... Oh. Um, okay, hold on. So, we've talked about unconsciousness. We've talked about drowning, burning, exhaustion. Um, what, in your opinion... I just want to wrap up. I want to roll dice. Mm. What, in your opinion, is the most horrifying death for a D&D character? The, what, what way could they go out where it is the most brutal? I got a nine. Three. I got a 17. Uh, disintegration. Yes. <laughs> disintegration. Just All right, end of the episode. We're all good. <laughs> yeah, is that what you guys were going to say? Uh, no, no. I, I was going to say something along the lines, but I got another option. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it's acid damage to me is the most horrifying. The idea that, because I will describe that death in detail of the skin sizzling and peeling away. With, with disintegration, you don't just poof into a cloud of smoke. Parts of you go before other parts. And you have the opportunity to look up and say, Mr. Stark? Oh. Oh, oh. oh no. No? <laughs> Still too soon? Never. <laughs> never too soon. For uh, Honestly, uh, disintegration, yeah, the, the remove, anything that removes death saves. Yeah. Right? So turning undead? Turning undead, um, because there's a lot of things like if you get knocked unconscious by this, you raise again as a zombie. Like we'll death stop. ray. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, rip, rip, uh, Solomon Duke. Anyways, um, the those are all incredibly brutal. I was authentically terrified of my character dying when you push- shunted him off into the middle of the astral plane by himself to just talk to a god. Mm. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, and you were just floating in the cosmos. For eternity. And just a slow bleeding of my sanity. 
Yeah, my character didn't die, but he came out of there like wrong. Yeah, and and, and that was a very brutal thing because as as someone who was trying his hardest to role play a character as best he could with all their faults and everything else, sitting there and being like, "Great, now this this guy who's got this incredibly traumatized story to him legitimately has." more than a few screws loose. How the hell do I play that? Yeah. Right? And then, at the same time, Adam, you flipped that entire character on the head at the same... Uh, you flipped that entire character on its head by one time saying, okay, you know your addict character who has all these vices? He doesn't feel the need for them anymore. No, yeah. You got happy for a little bit and it fucked Dan. You didn't know how to play a happy character. I didn't know how to play this character happy. Alright. <laughs> so so the last thing before we wrap up is the most the most brutal death that I have ever seen at a table was Dan killing another player character. Dan was a player at the table. And we were doing a one shot, which ended up being a two shot, because of course it did, and there was a yeah. fire Janassi who was a pyromaniac. And we were playing an evil campaign. This needs to be mentioned. Yeah. yeah. And it was a heist. And um what the idea was that at the end. Um, only one player could walk out with the treasure. Mm. And so Dan got to the end with the fire genasi, just the two of them. They, and it was like, all right, I'm going to go up the chimney. And Dan said, well, actually, what you're going to do. And then he he um, knocked them down to only a few hit points and then flooded it with magic. Nice. So there was water and he drowned the fire genasi fire answer, whose only flaw was that they're terrified of fire. And he drowned them out. And then climbed up the chimney and laughed his way to freedom. Good uh, man. Uh, I mean, that entire sequence was bad as well because I also like didn't I like straight up strangle one of the players? Yeah, you 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 pulled. Yeah, you like turned their head around backwards. I think is what you did, just to watch the light go out of their eyes. Dan was playing a death cleric. Good I was. I, uh, no, I wasn't a death cleric. He was a monk. Uh, a way long death. Yeah, he was a way long death monk, and I was playing him as a. He was a minotaur as well. But he was uh, studying the moment the soul leaves the body. So, like, I walked into the party and the very first thing I said is I looked at the fire, fire genasi and said, never had one of you before. Let's watch you die. Yeah. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, and then for, and like, the player of the, the fire genasi was like, fuck you. Like, hell no. And then at the end of the campaign, I'm slowly choking them out. And it was just, yeah. It, it, yeah, as the water floods it. Like, it was horrifying. Fantastic. That that goes down as the most brutal death. And I, I was a DM, and I wasn't even responsible for it. I just wanted to see who would win in a fist fight. Love it. Any final thoughts? Um, What about dying from exhaustion? Dying from exhaustion is always so damn sad. Right? And I have straight up pushed characters to get near it. Yeah, I think I'll say. I think Dan has had level five exhaustion a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like that would be the most terrifying because I do find as a player sometimes the hardest, biggest struggle I have is if I feel like I am not smart enough as a person to get out of the situation that I am in, and I feel like if I am dying from exhaustion and can't figure out how to stop being exhausted, that for me as a player would be the most frustrating fucking thing in the world. I have a lot of trouble playing like super high, like Sherlock Holmes level high int characters. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a lot of like me looking at Adam going, I don't know this Adam. He might. I personally am an idiot, but. <laughs> yeah, right? So like I, I'm, not, I'm not sitting there like telegraphing the entire battle in my head before the thing goes. Um, but. Hold on, people don't do that? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> 
<laughs> have you not run scenarios before I, we showed up? I, 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 I definitely have, like, at the table with Adam been like, I'm not sm- as smart as my character. Help. Yeah. Right? And Adam will be like, well, I'm not just going to give you the answer. Roll an intelligence roll, yeah. <laughs> right? Roll an intelligence roll, and that's when I roll, like, a two, and he goes, well, you got too drunk last night. You don't remember <laughs> shit. Yeah, or the other thing, too, is... Tell me why you would know this. Yeah, yes. and that happens a lot too. Yeah. Right. And that is a brilliant way to answer that question, right? Like just saying your wizard reads books isn't good enough. Yeah. yeah. What right? did what did you particularly study? Because your answers early in the campaign will affect your answers late in the campaign. Oh, when I was a kid, I was raised on a farm. Okay. So you're not going to instinctively know sewer layouts. <laughs> even though you have an urchin background. No, 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 because you grew up on a farm, right? Yeah. You said that earlier. And, and being able to develop those interests early in character, like the, asking the question, why would you know? Or explain to me how your character would know that information. Um, gets you thinking about your character in a actual like role play frame of mind. And you make those little notes and build on those things. I've had entire things about characters that I did not intend on them come up in a one of those questions in like session six that became major key points to that character. Yeah, like and could lead to your ultimate down. survival. Yeah, right. So too. if we're talking about deaths and death saves, if you in your backstory know something about survival that is specific, it might help you. Right. The, the only reason Lockie got involved with um, the green uh, and like chasing the gods through all the teleportation things and and all the the green, things. by the way, was the embodiment of nature. Yeah, yeah. who who was Lockie's warlock patron. Um, the only reason why I did that is because Adam asked me, I think in like the second session, I was like, hey, what's this weird like scrolled shit at the bottom of this prison? And Adam goes, why would you know that? I'm like, oh, Lockie likes Lovecraft level horror stuff. And Adam went, okay. And that just became a character thing. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you have to spend the first few sessions discovering your character. Anyway, the last thing that I want to say before we wrap up is we've hinted at it a couple of times, but if you're the DM that goes for the gotcha moments or that tries to prove a point or teach a lesson, or if you're just adversarial in general, stop it. Yeah, don't. Just fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> you can't win D&D. Your job as a dungeon master is to be a referee. Refs never win the game. That's just how it goes. Think of yourself as the human resources balance. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So that's it for this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can head to www.itsamimic.com and hit our fancy donate button there or just tell your friends and the rest of your D&D party about the podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. And also don't forget to come on back next week when we're covering Shadow Dragons and Dracoliches. <gasps> yeah. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. So what's worse, killing a player character as a dungeon master or losing a character as a player? Let, uh, let's grab dice for that. Yeah, let's roll. I got a four. Twelve. Six. All right, Megan. I think... I think killing a player's character is worse. And the other reason why I can say that is because I have watched other people's characters die when I'm a player. And it is heartbreaking for me to watch the DM trying to figure out what to do with this character and this person. And it just looks pain more painful for the DM than it does for the actual player. So, and sometimes you get those players that just love dying because they like building characters. So I feel like... Guilty. 
Yeah, so I feel like the hard part is the DM, and plus the DM has to navigate choosing when the character dies, how the character dies, if it's actually going to be intentional for storyline building. Like, I feel like there's a lot that goes into killing characters than you actually think. Yeah, uh, the worst parts of D&D for me have been losing other people's characters. Yeah. I can get over my own. It, it, uh, in a week, I'll be back with a brand new character sheet. I've lost two characters in the last five years that have been killed in, in games. And it's, I mean, it sucks. Yeah. It's the worst when it happens in the middle of a one-shot. And you're like 40 minutes in. Oh. And you're just like, oh, well, I guess, I'd right, have fun, guys. Didn't we do that one one-shot where I had three characters? Yeah, you kept prepping backup characters, yeah. Yeah, and then used them all in the same oh one shot. God. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dan? Uh, honestly, for me, uh, just because I play and have always played a fairly combat-heavy game, killing characters as a DM doesn't carry that same edge. Well, that your me. regular one, this group you've been playing with for 15 years. 25. But yeah. 25 years. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 25 years. A, you guys are combat heavy, role play light, so there's no, there's not the level of investment that you have yeah. in our Sunday groups. With and and the inverse of that is because we, it's very combat heavy. There's a lot of like character prep and like a lot of work goes into like min maxing the shit out of the character. Or sorry, sorry, optimizing the character. Hey, look, I've changed, I've changed my point of view on min maxing. I have. I'm all for min maxing. Don't be a munchkin. Yes, I, I that I completely agree, and there is a definite distinction there. So for me, I don't want to have my character that I've invested a lot of time in die. That sucks more, especially since I've now joined groups that are more roleplay heavy, and I'm getting into the character. And I've had like tertiary characters in some way related to my character die, and gone home and just was like, "Well, fuck this game. Never want to do this." Crap well, I mean, again. you kill an NPC, we riot. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, yeah, and Dan likes as a player to set up NPCs to die in between sessions as well. So it just happened. That's more true. Than We've come once. into session, and it's like, oh, by the way, this and this character is dead, and we're just like, son of a bitch, <laughs> <laughs> Dan. You're welcome, guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done. <laughs>